Mark chapter 4, we have the uh, really a well-known passage about the sower, the seed. Mark chapter 4, verse 1 says, And again he, Jesus, began to teach by the sea, and a great multitude was gathered to him, so that he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea. And the whole multitude was on the land facing the sea. Then he taught them many things by parables and said to them in in his teaching, Listen, behold, a sower went out to sow. And it happened as he sowed that some seed fell by the wayside, and the birds of the air came and devoured it. Some fell on the stony ground, where it did not have much earth, and immediately it sprang up because it had no depth of earth. But when the sun was up, it was scorched, and because it had no root, it withered away. And some seed fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no crop. But other seed fell on good ground and yielded a crop that sprang up, increased and produced, some thirtyfold, some sixty, and some a hundred. And he said to them, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. But when he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parable. And he said to them, To you it has been given to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God, but to those who are outside, all things come in parables, so that seeing they may see and not perceive, and hearing they may hear and not understand, lest they should turn and their sins be forgiven them. And he said to them, Do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all parables? The sower sows the word. And these are the ones by the wayside where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan comes immediately and takes away the word that was sown in their hearts. These likewise are the ones sown sown on stony ground who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with gladness, and they have no root in themselves, and so endure only for a time. Afterward, when tribulation or persecution arises for the word's sake, immediately they stumble. Now these are the ones sown among the thorns. They are the ones who hear the word and the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, and the desires for other things entering in choke the word, and it becomes unfruitful. But these are the ones sown on good ground. Those who hear the word, accept it, and bear fruit. Some thirtyfold, some sixty, and some a hundred. And he said to them, Is a lamp brought to be put under a basket or under a a bed? Is it not to be set on a lampstand? For there is nothing hidden which will not be revealed, nor has anything been kept secret but that it should come to light. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. Then he said to them, Take heed what you hear. With the same measure you use, it will be measured to you, back to you, and to you who hear, more will be given. But whoever has, to him more will be given. But whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. In this uh, well-known parable, we have uh, an image of a seed and an image of the soil, or should we say, four different kinds of soil. First, let's look at the the seed. Here, the, the word of God is compared to a seed, and it's an appropriate comparison, because 
Just like a seed must be sown in order for the Word of God to have effect, it also must be sown or it must be declared or it must be preached. As Paul says in Romans 10, how will they hear without a preacher? Right? How will they hear? So the Word of God must be scattered abroad um, as it is in the parable in order for it to bear fruit. Also, it contains the germ of life, if you will. The Word of God is compared to a seed very appropriately because the Word is alive. It is living. Uh, Hold your place, look at Hebrews 4, since you don't believe me. Look at Hebrews 4. In Hebrews 4, in verse 12... It reads, for the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the vision of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Look at 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1. Hebrews, James, 1 Peter says in verse, uh, chapter 1, verse 22, Since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth in sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently with a pure heart, having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible through the word of God, which lives and abides, and my version says, forever. Because all flesh is as grass, and all the glory of man as the flower of the grass. The grass withers, and its flower falls away, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Now this is the word which by the gospel was preached to you. And in James 1, well since we're right there, go to James 1 real quick. In James it says, every good gift comes from the Father above. Right? And then in verse 18 of James 1, it says this, Of His own will, He brought us forth. In other words, we were born, we were brought forth, we were born again. How? By the word of truth. By the word of truth. Because the word of God is a seed, and when it's planted, it germinates, and it produces life. And whereas a, 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 the seed of a plant will produce natural life, the Word of God, when it's planted, it produces eternal life. Not only life that lives forever, but the qualitative life of eternal life in the soul of the believer. So the Word is uh, aptly compared to a seed, which has that germ of life in it. But thirdly... Uh, Like a seed, the word needs appropriate soil. If you take a seed, if I, if, if, if I was going to demonstrate my sermon today and I took a seed and I put it on the table and just set it there, we could come back, say, we're going to, we're going to do an experiment. We're going to, we're going to watch the seed grow and we'll come back next week and it'll still be sitting there and we'll come back the next week and it'll still be sitting there and it won't grow. Right? Won't grow. Why? Because a seed, although it has the germ of life in it, it needs to be placed in soil. And so in this parable, back in Mark 4, Jesus talks about four different types of soil. The wayside, the stony ground, the thorny ground, 
and the good ground. So let's take a moment and look at the four different soils. The first is the wayside soil. In Mark 4, he refers to the the, the wayside and he says in verse uh, 15, These are the ones by the wayside where the word is sown, and when they hear, Satan comes immediately and takes away the word that was sown in their hearts. Uh, the, the, the wayside is really the, the, the ground which is not really part of the field. It, it's, it's like a path that goes through the field or that's next to the field. And because it's a path and people walk on the path, the, the, the ground gets beaten down and the, and the ground is hard. So because it's hard and it's beaten down from people walking to and fro, if you will, when the seed falls on it, the seed can't get into a, into a furrow or into a crevice, so it sits on the surface. And because it's sitting on the surface, guess what? The birds of the air can see it sitting right on the surface. So then the birds of the air swoop down and they, and they uh, consume the seed because it's right there for the picking, if you will. Um, apparently in the, in the Middle East in Jesus' day when, when men would go out to sow, it was very common to see flocks of birds following the man through the field, waiting to get, get some lunch. Probably breakfast, actually. Probably did it in the morning. Um, so Satan is compared to a, a bird, and he swoops down and he takes the word. He doesn't take it really out of the heart because it's never really buried in the heart. It was never really planted. It just kind of sat on the surface. And this is what we call the careless listener, the careless hearer of the word. The word goes in and right out, right? In one ear, out the other ear, right? Uh, It's the person who hears, but the word never really sinks into the heart. It never really makes an impression because the heart is too hard. It's, 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 there's no place for the word to, to settle and to sink into that heart and to bear fruit. And so the, the devil can come and he can just take the word right away out of their heart. The devil is called in the word of God a thief. Amen. And he steals. And so he comes and he steals the word of God. And by doing so, he blinds the minds of those who do not believe. They hear, but they do not receive. They hear, but they do not understand, and therefore, clearly, I I believe that they are not saved. Secondly, the stony ground. Jesus says here uh, in verse 16, These likewise are the ones sown on stony ground, who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with gladness. That sounds good. That's promising, right? (sighs) But they have no root in themselves. And so endure only for a time. Afterward, when tribulation or persecution arises for the word's sake, immediately they stumble or they are offended. Those on the the stony ground are what we call the the carnal listener. And when I say carnal, I don't mean necessarily sinful, but I mean carnal in the sense of they're ruled by their emotions. So they hear the gospel, they hear the offer of eternal life, they hear about forgiveness, and it sounds all really good and exciting, and so they're, they're jazzed. And uh, they have emotions, they have joy, they're excited. But it's all human emotion. It's not true godly sorrow and godly repentance 
and godly joy. It's all human. So they have a purely human response to the gospel, and they see it in purely human terms about what they can get out of it. It kind of sounds like the prosperity gospel, doesn't it? The gospel is about what we can get and how we can prosper. And so that's a good deal. So people are attracted to that, and they respond with joy. However, as we know from uh, the Word of God, Jesus called his people to take up a cross, right? Jesus said that his people would be hated in the world. Jesus said that he came not to bring peace, but to bring a sword, that he would cause division in families and in friendships. Because there are those that will have to stand with Jesus, there will be those who choose to stand against Jesus, and thus Jesus will be the great divider as well as the great uniter. And so there's a cost involved in following Jesus. When there's a cost involved in receiving the word of God. And so when when we when some respond to the gospel and they have joy and they're excited, like, wow, yeah, Jesus is awesome. I like Jesus. He's cool. He's the dope. I know whatever the new word is. You know. I don't know. It changes every couple of years. Okay. But he's it, whatever it is. He's it. You know, it's it's the old I like I like Jesus school, but I hate church, you know, that whole school thought. So Jesus is cool. He drinks Starbucks. Um wears flip flops, you know, Jesus. You know, when I was younger, Jesus was a hippie. Now Jesus is a hipster. I mean, he just, he just, he just keeps on changing, you know? So he just keeps on evolving with the, with the trends, you know? Um, and so, yeah. Let, let me say this. I'm not an expert on revivals, but I've read enough. And I've seen enough that whenever there's a genuine move of God, there is always spurious religious emotions. What that means is there's always the fake mixed in with the real. Always. And there are people that are very excited and and apparently are being converted, but in fact, there's no root in them. And it's all human emotion. Because they're simply excitable. And they're responding on a human level to the offer of the gospel. Now, I actually think sometimes when, we, when the gospel is preached in certain uh, circles, we, we have to be careful because I think we can actually appeal to the human in a bad sense. Like, hey, isn't it a great deal? You can live forever and be forgiven. All you got to do is believe. Isn't that a great deal? Right? Uh, and so the, the, the spurious or the fake is always mixed in with the real. Jonathan Edwards wrote a well-known book called Religious Affections. And what he meant by affections is really what we today call emotions. Um, Because he was involved in in a great revival of his day, and yet he saw that, uh, that a lot of what was going on was fake. But a lot of what was going on was real. So the question he was asking himself was, how do you discern the truth from the false? So... Here we have a, a, a response to the word which is immediate and it's joyful, but the problem is it has no root in it. Okay? This, in, this individual or this kind of soul is not established, if you will. Okay? It's like, it's like a ship that doesn't have an anchor. It's a plant without roots. 
It's a building without a foundation. So then when persecution or trouble or when there's a realization that there's a cost involved with receiving the word, there's a cost involved, well, then they're offended. Then they stumble. They stumble at the cost. Wait, wait you mean you mean believing in Jesus means, means I can't keep on doing my dope? You mean I can't I can't I can't keep on sleeping with my girlfriend anymore? You mean I can't Yeah, that's exactly what I mean. Exactly. Following Jesus means you do what Jesus says. It's not complicated, but it can be hard. It can be hard. If the root of the matter is not in us, it can be difficult because the flesh doesn't like the cross, right? Doesn't like the cross. And so the, the stony ground is the, is the carnal professor, if you will, who believes, but then when, when they're confronted with the, the cost of believing, then they give in. The third ground is the thorny ground. In verses um, 18 and 19. Now these are the ones sown among thorns. They're the ones who hear the word and, and the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, and the desires for other things entering in choke the word, and it becomes unfruitful. So here we, we have what I call the covetous believer. They're entangled with the cares of this age. Now some of these cares may be legitimate. We have to care for our our work and we have to care for our families. We have to care for our homes. As a matter of fact, we need to work on the lawn today. Adam, you got to cut the grass, sorry. Um, we have to care for all of these things, okay? And they're legitimate, but they can be a distraction. Um, they, they, they can very easily lead us into being entangled to where our hearts are entangled in these things and they distract us uh, from the word, and they distract the word itself, they hinder the word from bearing fruit in their lives. Jesus uh, refers to cares, he refers to riches, which he says are deceitful, and, and um, that means many things, but one thing it, that riches can do is that they can cause us to feel that we really don't need God. There's a reason, Jesus said, that it is very hard for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. It's because the rich do not feel the need for God. They feel independent. They feel self-sufficient. And so they are lured into uh, believing that they really have no need of God. And like the fool in Luke 12, they say, let's tear down the barns and build bigger ones. Not knowing that God will come soon and summon their soul. So they're deceived by their riches into a spirit of independence from God. And then they have the desire for other things, Jesus says. Um, you know, the more you have doesn't mean that you will desire less, right? As a matter of fact, I had an interesting conversation with Tom the other day about technology. We're looking at phones and iPads and things. He's like, I don't want to look at that much longer because then I'll start to want it. And that was a very astute observation because he understood his heart well enough to know if I start thinking about that, I'm going to start wanting that. My heart will get entangled in that thing when I don't need it. 
And so having more doesn't remove the desire for more. As a matter of fact, it can actually increase the desire for more. I mean, you know, buy, you, you buy a new phone, right? Seems, it seems easy enough. Well, then you gotta pick your plan, that's a hassle. But okay, you got the phone, you got the plan. Well, then you gotta buy the charger. Oh, well then, oh, I need a charger for home, but then I need, oh, now I need one for the car. Oh, well then I need a case. What color case do I want? Okay, I gotta get a case. And then I gotta get the, uh, you know, before you know it, you've invested half your children's inheritance in a phone. <laughs> I mean, it's an in, it's like, it's not a phone anymore. It's, it's, it's like an industry built around one device. And that's just one device. And then you have your computer and then you have your TV and then you have your car and then you have your house and, and everything's its own vacuum cleaner that sucks your heart into it. It's true. And it's always, you know, well, we can, you ever watch any of those home improvement shows? Come on, ladies, be honest, right? Some of you guys probably do too, but you won't admit it, so I won't ask you to raise your hand. Okay. So, you know, it's always like, well, you know, if we just spend another 50 grand, we can get this. <laughs> then they bump you up to that price. Well, you know, there's this other house down the road. It's only another 50 grand. Well, if I just spend a little more, I can get that. You know, you know how that works? The elevator technique of sales, like suck up, up and up the price goes. Just a little bit more. Just one more thing. Just another little bathroom. Just another little room in the basement. Just another this. Just another that. And your heart is so entangled in all of that. That Jesus says all of that, it's like weeds. And it's choking the word. Choking the word. In Luke's version of this parable, the word he uses for choke is a word that literally means to drown. And Mark's word is the word which means to crush by being thronged. What a, what a picture of what worldly desires can do to us. And so, we can be in the word, but if our hearts aren't truly um, detached, from worldliness, then the word will not be fruitful. The last ground is the good ground. I call this the careful heart. We have the careless heart, the carnal heart, the covetous heart, and the careful heart. And the good ground Jesus talks about here in verse 20. He says, but these are the ones on the good ground, those who hear the word, accept it, and bear fruit. Some 30 fold, some 60, and some 100. The good ground, or the, the, the person represented by the good ground, they, they hear the word. They hear it. Now, in every case, the word was heard. That, that's the, the striking thing about this parable, as that in every case, each ground received seed. Are you hearing me? Every person heard the word, but three out of four didn't hear the word. What did Jesus say in verse 12? Seeing they may see and not see, hearing they may hear and not hear. Hearing, but you don't hear. Seeing, but you don't see. The stony ground didn't hear, although it heard. 
the thorny ground didn't hear, but, but it heard. Only the good ground hears truly and accepts the word. How is it that some can hear the word week after week after week for years and years and years and yet not grow? Because they hear, but they do not hear. The good ground hears, but it hears truly, and it receives or it accepts the word, which means it not only hears it with the ear, it hears it with the heart, and it accepts it. Listen, let me tell you something. Body language is interesting, isn't it? It's interesting how sometimes when... when uh, I'll get up and, and to preach, and you're all, and people are sitting there, you know, just kind of normal. I say, Look, today I want to talk about giving. <laughs> True, or you know, shuffling. We we can hear the word in, in this posture. Sometimes I can see it in your faces when I'm preaching. I can see that you are not hearing. I can see that you're trying not to hear. I can see the battle going on. Because what is being said at the particular time is is something you don't want to hear. And this is the beauty of hearing the word rather than reading the word. Because once you read the Bible enough, you know what to avoid. Give it up. up. You know what to avoid, right? You know those texts that will convict you about certain things, so you just, I'll read something else today. (laughs) But see, when you come to church, you're vulnerable. Because God, listen, this is good. You ready? This is good. God knows the secrets of your heart. And there's nothing hidden that isn't going to be revealed. That's what Jesus just said. There's nothing hidden. You can hide it from me. Cool. I don't want to know your... Listen, I got enough dirty laundry at home. I don't want to know... I don't don't need your dirty laundry. I don't want to know your secrets. Now, if you want to tell me, I'll listen. I'll pray for you. I love you. But I'm not looking for dirty laundry. God knows what you need to hear. And sometimes I'm preaching things and I'm like, Lord, why am I even saying this? It's because somebody needs to hear it. And I believe that God is faithful to speak to us through His Word when we read or meditate. I think God's faithful to speak to us when we pray. I think God can speak to you through a worship song on the radio. God can speak to you through a secular song on the radio. God can speak to you through a sunrise or a sunset. God can speak to you through a movie. God speaks to His people. That's not the problem. The problem is, are we listening? Are we listening? Do we hear? That's what the parable is about. Do we hear? And so, um, we can av- we can avoid hearing. And so, when we come to church, we're, we're we're coming, and God wants us to hear. And so, God will say certain things in church. And sometimes I see this, and it may not be a literal this. And and if you're folding your hands, don't, you can go ahead. You can do that. That's okay. Because I actually like to I actually like to stand this way because it's comfortable. But I think sometimes people feel like I'm being, I don't know. I don't know what I'm being, but it's comfortable. So fine, you can do that. But, but, but we don't want to do that in our hearts. 
That's why in worship, you, we, we often exhort you to, to lift your hands to the Lord. Not because there's some magic in it, but because it's symbolic of, of what our hearts ought to be doing. And sometimes the physical helps the spiritual. It helps us, you know, it helps the heart. But Jesus, these grounds, he's talking about the human heart, right? And the different states and conditions of the human heart. And and one of the things that really struck me as I studied this passage was this. You ready? Only one in four received the word. Only one in four. Jesus, I believe, was looking at the vast multitude. So vast that he was forced to literally get in a boat and go out in the middle of the sea. There were so many people. He was forced out off the, off the land. They were thronging him. And yet as he looked at the crowd, what did he see? He saw the stony ground. He saw the thorny ground. He saw the wayside ground. And then he saw one in four, the good ground. The question is, what are we? Now I don't think these various grounds are Permanent. I actually think that one day we can kind of be one way and maybe another day another way. I think maybe we can go through seasons where we just get all entangled in worldly stuff and we're just not, the word just not bearing fruit in our lives. Maybe we go through other seasons for various reasons that our hearts just get really hard and the words are having no impact on us. So, we want a good heart, amen? Amen. We want to hear, we want to understand, we want to bring forth fruit. So what do we do? I'm going to mention a couple things real quick, and we're going to come back to this text several times over the next few weeks. But let me just say something about public hearing. I'm not going to talk about private hearing, which is your reading and study. Let me just say a word about public hearing, and then we're going to uh, um, have some prayer and uh, take an offering. It's this. When we, when we come to public worship, we need to be prompt. Do you know what prompt means? On time. Do I need to say that again? Probably. Okay. We need to be prompt. Because, well, there's a lot of reasons, but one of the reasons relates to the second thing I want to mention, and that is we need to be prepared. Listen to what Spurgeon said. This is really awesome. He says, we're told men ought not to preach without preparation. Granted. But we add, men ought not to hear without preparation. Which do you think needs the most preparation? The sower or the ground? I would have the sower come with clean hands, but I would have the ground well plowed and harrowed, well turned over, and the clods broken before the seed comes in. It seems to me that there is more preparation needed by the ground than by the sower, more by the hearer than by the preacher. Wisdom here, friends. Wisdom here. We need to come to the hearing of the word and the corporate worship of God with hearts that are prepared. And the only way we can do that is we have to spend time preparing our hearts before we get here. That only gives you two options. Either get up early and do it, or you stay up late and do it. 
But you have to do it. Now, you don't have to do it. But I can assure you that the more your heart is prepared, the more fruit you will bear. The more your heart is prepared, the more you will benefit from the preaching of the Word. It's inevitable. It's common sense. If the ground is hard, the seed doesn't go in. If the ground is full of thorns, the seed will get choked. Jesus is giving us a common sense teaching here. And it applies in the spiritual realm as well. You cannot be full of the world when you walk into church Sunday morning and expect to benefit from the preaching of the word. It doesn't work that way. We need to be prompt. We need to be prepared. Thirdly, we need to pray. When I am preaching the word, you should be praying. You can pray and listen at the same time. And one of the things you need to be praying is, Lord, speak for your servant hears. It it doesn't matter if 95% of what I say is not relevant to you. If 5% is, that's what you're here for. You understand what I'm saying? God wants to speak to you through the preaching of his word, whether it's me or Pastor Mike or anybody else that's in this pulpit. God wants to speak to his people. You are not here for a theological lecture. You are here to hear the voice of God. And God will speak to you. I believe God speaks. No, I don't believe it. I know God speaks to you through this pulpit. But if your hearts aren't right, you will not benefit from it. Some people can't even hear that it's God's voice. And he's speaking to them. Because they're not in the right frame. They are not prepared. When you are hearing the preaching of the word, you must listen for the voice of God. You must listen for the spirit of God to speak to you during the preaching of the word. Because that's what you are here for. And if you will do that, and if you will faithfully pray, not just for the preacher, but pray for yourself as the preacher is delivering the word, you will hear the word from the Lord. And hearing it, you will grow. Spurgeon, since I referred to him, preached every night of the week in different churches for many, many, many years. And he said some churches were like preaching in a freezer. He, he was the, one of the greatest preachers of his day. One of the greatest evangelists of all Christendom. And this man said that there are churches I went to and I preached and it was pointless. It was useless. It was for naught. Why? Because the people didn't pray. We need to be a praying people. Next prayer meeting, you need to be there. When we gather for worship, you need to pray. When you hear the word, you need to pray. And if you will pray and listen, you will hear the word of the Lord for you. I can assure you. And lastly, we need to practice. The kind of hearing that Jesus talks about here is not simply hearing and understanding and knowing. It's the kind which results in what he calls keeping or doing. He said, my brothers and sisters are those who hear the word of God and do it. 
So the, the fruitfulness that he speaks of here is the fruitfulness of obedience, the fruitfulness of application, the fruitfulness of taking the word that we hear, of, and let me, let me say this, when you hear the Lord speak to you, it's, it's easier, I believe, to obey. Because you feel a compulsion, a conviction. If it's just me telling you what to do, well, who in the heck am I? Nobody. But if God speaks to you, well, then you better get going. And so, we are prompt, we then prepare, come prepared, while we hear we pray, and then whatever the Lord speaks, we must begin to practice and obey. Amen? Amen. Let's stand. Father, I thank you that you are faithful to us. I thank you, Lord, that you speak to us through your word, if we will listen. I pray for every one of us, myself included, that, that Lord, we would have those ears. You tell us, he that has ears to hear, let him hear. May we individually and may we as a body be a people that hear the word of the Lord and do it. I ask it in your name. Amen.